This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. not sure what you think when you hear that song, but when I hear it, I do know that I wonder, where did all those years go? I mean, I hear 2019, and then I realize it was 50 years ago that we put a man on the moon. Joe Namath ruined my Super Bowl Sunday, and we had Woodstock. No, not the bird, the concert. So, Ron, I want to ask you, um, what were you doing this time 50 years ago? And, and I know if you tell me you were at Woodstock, you weren't, because those that were, uh, they don't remember a thing. Well, the fact that I have no recollection makes pretty clear what I was doing. I do recall the local constabulary was involved, but not in a convivial manner. <laughs> hey, Ron, don't bogart that joint. Pass it this way, my friend, all right? <laughs> a lot of things went on there at Woodstock. You know, buddy, a, a lot of things. Hey, uh, Goose, how about you? Um, were you watching the ball drop at Times Square 50 years ago or doing something else? Nope, never been a big New Year's Eve guy. You know, one year always tends to bleed into the next one for me. But I do recall 69 being a very good year. Got out of high school, went to Michigan State, got my first paying gig in journalism, student paper. Life was good. Yeah, life was oh. good. Except for Super Bowl three. Well, uh, let old acquaintance not be forgotten, Goose Man, because on request, we're going to dig into the senior pool of Hall of Fame candidates today and hear from Cincinnati quarterback Ken Anderson as we empty our Talk of Fame archives. But that's not all. We're also going to dissect the head coaching carousel and talk to Hall of Fame semifinalist Zach Thomas, class of 2019, as the new year dawns on the Hall's next class of gold jackets. Now, vote, votes were due two weeks ago, and the Hall will make an announcement this Thursday with its 15 finalists. Goose, just wondering, you think we see Zach Thomas's name on that ballot? Well, the ballot at 25 semifinals was heavy on defense, and I expect the 15 finalists to be heavy on defense as well, so that bodes well for, for Thomas. I think there will be multi-linebackers, multi-defensive backs. And, and, yes, I do think Thomas will be a finalist. You agree, Ron? Uh, well, I don't know. You know, you, you, every year we talk about defense, and in the end it ends up being offense. But uh, I do think uh, Richard Seymour being the only defensive lineman on the list uh, has probably a better chance than people are, are thinking. You know, everybody really talks about him, about him uh, as great a player as he was. But when you got no competition, people tend to check the box. <laughs> well, we're going to check the box because we've got a lot to get to as we ring out the old and ring in 2019. So, guys, let's get started, and we will right after this. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, before we get to Black Monday, and I guess Black Tuesday for some others, um, I want to get to one coach who wasn't fired this week, and that's Minnesota's Mike Zimmer. Um, one year after reaching the NFC Championship game, he and his team fizzled, of course, and they failed to win their season finale last week in a game incidentally that would have put them in the playoffs had they won and that game was home um so they finished eight seven and one missed the playoffs and of course they were booed by their fans um now this is a team that spent a record 84 million in guaranteed money on free agent quarterback kirk cousins and was expected to be better but it wasn't so ron i'll ask you i mean how much responsibility for this nosedive belongs to mike zimmer and how much belongs to michigan state's favorite quarterback Kirk Cousins. 
Well, you're going to collect the accolades uh, as Mike Zimmer did last year where things go well and you have to accept the blame when they don't, so he does deserve some. Uh, but to me, the real culprit really isn't Zimmer or Cousins. They both continue to be who they are. Zimmer's a good coach. I don't know if he's a great coach. He uh, hasn't proved that yet. And Cousins is a guy who seldom comes through in the clutch. He's 34-37 and two now as a starter. Zone won in the playoffs. This is, was his seventh NFL season, the fourth as a full-time starter. He is what he is, which is a 500 uh, quarterback. He's never led a team to more than two games above 500 in his career. So to me, the real culprit is whoever decided in Minnesota uh, that he was a better option than a far cheaper case uh, Keenum, who went 13-3 and last year. Uh, yeah. I believe this yeah. is going to end up being an $84 million mystery. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you because the number you didn't mention there, Ron, was – what he's done against winning opponents in his career. Oh, awful. Four, he, awful. He's 4-25. 4-25 against yeah. him. So, Goose, um, you know a lot about Kirk Cousins. Um, you know a lot about quarterbacks. You know a lot about the Michi- uh, Minnesota Vikings. You know a lot about Michigan State. You know a lot about everything. That's why we call you Dr. Dadder. Uh, why did the Vikings think he was the answer at quarterback? And is it too soon to label this move, as Ron suggested, a mistake? Well, they they saw Cousins as a 4,000-yard passer for a bad team in Washington. Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer looked at the talent they had on the flank and Adam Thielman and Stephon Diggs and wanted to take better advantage of them. They thought the arm of Cousins would do just that. They also knew they would uh, be surrounding Cousins with a better supporting cast than he had in Washington. The problem was Zimmer's philosophy is old school, run the ball, play defense. They lost that identity and became a passing team with Cousins. You know, he would have been better off uh, as a member of the supporting cast as opposed to feature action. So does the fault lie with the uh, front office then for making this move? I mean, knowing that that was against the sort of makeup of this team. This reminds me of when Baltimore signed Gerback a year after yep. they won yep. the Super Bowl at Dilfer. Yep, Same 2001. Thing. They, they yep. thought, I got, well, we're going to get a more talented quarterback that will make everybody better. Didn't work. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Uh, well, speaking of quarterbacks, we had Nick Foles back as a playoff quarterback, and that's one month after it appeared the Eagles were dead and gone. But he's a prospective free agent after this year, unless, of course, the Eagles somehow figure out how to keep him. So, uh, Goose, how does, does he become, or how does he become this year's Kirk Cousins? In other words, the free agent quarterback's going to get paid out of the back of a Brinks truck, or can they find some way to keep him? No, he became in Philadelphia what the Vikings hoped Cousins would become a Minnesota facilitator. He will cash a big check this offseason, but he has to be smart. He needs to find a team on the verge of playoff contention, a team with the pieces around him that will allow him to be successful. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Russell Wilson. He needs help. If he goes to a bad team, he could become this year's Sam Bradford. Free agency always should be about the best fit, not so much the money, but too often it is. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think it, you know how he's going to be looked upon and how he's going to get paid is going to depend on how deep uh, he goes with the, into the playoffs this year with the Eagles. Uh, if he doesn't, if he blows up this uh, weekend, I think there'll be a lot of people saying, well, it was just sort of a one-year, one-month uh, wonder. Um, but I can't see any way that he stays if there's any kind of real money out there uh, because – even though Carson Wentz appears to be made out of tissue paper, uh, he's the future for, for at least until his body falls apart, as it seems to be doing. Um, now, somebody like Goose is going to have to make a, a smart uh, choice, and, and the kid himself is going to have to make a smart choice. He may not deserve to get paid, but just remember a few years back, neither did Matt Castle, and he became a millionaire twice. Yeah, right. Crazy. <laughs> Well, anyway, good luck to St. Nick. I don't think he's going to need it in March, but he might this weekend, guys. Eagles play the Bears, and they play him in Chicago. Um, so let's get back to Black Monday. Uh, there are eight openings for head coaches. Ron, 
Which was the most surprising move to you? Uh, once I got over the shock of the Packers dumping Mike McCarthy, none really. Unless the other guys didn't win. Uh, yeah. I guess maybe you could say, you know, you could say maybe Marvin Lewis to a degree, a bit of a shock because of the way Mike Brown does business. Um, but, you know, if you don't win, you don't stay. Yeah, right. Well, mine is Steve Wilkes, one and done. How can you judge a coach based on one season when he's forced to start a rookie quarterback, and not just any rookie quarterback, the fourth best quarterback in the 2018 draft, Josh Rosen? He played like it uh, with 12 games of one touchdown pass or fewer. Now, if Wilkes was the mistake, you should also fire the guy who hired him, GM Steve Keim. Yet they're going to give Keim the chance to hire another coach. If he's that such a bad judge of coaching talent, why are you letting him do it again? <laughs> good question, Goose. They don't like damn that. good point. That was a damn yeah. good point. But you know, uh, I mean, he, uh, he inherited a team that was eight and eight, though, Goose, and he went back. Yeah, I understand right. a whole yeah. rookie quarterback thing, but uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure I want to afford to follow Steve Run. One uh, and done. into battle. One and done. Hey, how hey, can Goose, you judge quickly. any quarterback well, yeah, based on one season? Well, you're right. It's one and done, Goose. But you know. Well, who knows what that one was like? <laughs> you know, it was chaos, and he's got to go. And time should have gone a couple of years ago. Hey, Goose, quick yeah, question thanks. for you: of of the eight that are no longer head coaches, how many do you expect to be head coaches in 2019, and who are they? Two McCarthy and Gaze. Everyone's looking for an offensive guru who can handle the quarterback position. That's going to cut out a lot of quality defensive candidates. Owners don't want defense; they want the football in the air. They want excitement. They want offense. McCarthy and Gaze have the track record to get them rehired quickly. Well, I hear that sound, and I know what it means. There's somebody out there with a track record, too, and our Rick Goslin spotlighted him this week on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, or themaven.io slash talkoffame. And that someone is former Viking star Joey Browner. Goose, you want to tell us about him? Yeah, much was expected of Joey Brown when the Minnesota Vikings selected him with the 19th overall choice of that celebrated 1983 NFL draft ahead of such Hall of Famers as Dan Marino and Daryl Green. Brown delivered on those expectations. He played nine seasons with the Vikings, went to six Pro Bowls. He strung together seven consecutive 100-tackle seasons. He was voted one of the 50 greatest Vikings on the 50th anniversary of the franchise in 2010. Now, he's been eligible for the Hall for 21 years now, but has never been a semifinalist, much less a finalist. How does a all-decade safety, a six-time Pro Bowler, and a three-time first-team All-Pro never come up for discussion? Two reasons. He lacks a ring, and he played safety. Safety is the most undervalued position in the hall. Paul Krause, the NFL's all-time leading interceptor with 81, a record, by the way, that will never be broken, waited 14 years for his bust. Kenny Easley, a first-team all-decade safety and a former NFL Defense Player of the Year, waited 25 years before finally getting his bust, thanks to Ron Borges, as a senior. And only 30% of all those enshrined in Canton failed to win a championship. So if you don't win a title, you're a long shot for Canton. If you don't, if you don't win a title and play defense, you're an even longer shot. And if you don't win a title and play safety, you are the absolute longest shot for a bust in the Hall of Fame. And that's not fair to a player of the caliber of Browner. He intercepted 37 passes and recovered 16 fumbles, forced 18 fumbles, sacked 10 quarterbacks. He collected a career-best 20 tackles in a single game against the Bengals in 85 and showed his versatility with 111 career special teams tackles. He was a four-down player. So I added it all up. 
Do the tackles, interceptions, fumbles, touchdowns, and Pro Bowls add up to a Hall of Fame career for Joey Browner? Maybe, maybe not. But all the stats and accolades add up to a career that certainly deserves a discussion from the Hall of Fame Selection Committee. The absence of a championship rank should not close any doors for a great football player. Goose in about 30 seconds. Here's your, here's your charge. Cliff Harris, Steve Atwater, or Joey Browner? You can put in one. Who do you put? Oh, the only um, Cliff Harris was a first-team all-decade player. He's one of two all-decade guys not in from the 70s. I'd probably have him at the top of the list. Atwater second, and Browner would be in a cluster of other safeties uh, in, in that next level. We've got to go to break, like now, so let's go. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, um, what do you guys make of this Antonio Brown story? I mean, he missed last weekend's season finale with Cincinnati because he was supposed to be hurt. We all know that. I guess it was a knee injury, right? But then we find out, yeah, he wasn't hurt at all. Uh, apparently through a fit of practice. Uh, was late to meetings and essentially was told he wouldn't play on Sunday. Now, according to reports, he has issue with his head coach, that's Mike Tomlin, and his quarterback, that would be Ben Roethlisberger, and wants out, at least reportedly. But Mike Tomlin says, no, no, that's not exactly the case. He's not asked for a trade at all. And he faulted A.B. for abandoning the team in what he called its darkest hour. So, Goose, what are the chances that Antonio Brown is with the Pittsburgh Steelers next year? I think very good. You know, with a $22 million salary cap hit if he leaves the roster, I think he'll be back on board next year. The Steelers waited out Le'Veon Bell's dissatisfaction, and they can can and will wait out Antonio Brown's dissatisfaction. Yeah, I mean, that, that $21 million cap it, uh, makes it almost impossible to trade it before June, and even if you do it after June, it's a over $7 million hit this year and another $14 million the year after, so uh, uh, I would doubt it. But uh, uh, someone needs to tell Antonio Brown to put his big boy pants on yeah. and grow up. Uh, yeah. But th- but you know what? Someone needs to tell Mike Tomlin that he's supposed to be in charge to stop acting you know, like he's... Uh, in charge of the kindergarten class. These supposedly grown men and professionals treat them that way and stop treating them like, oh, it's not really this, oh, it's not really that, oh, it's not really something else. <laughs> you know, if he had jumped his ass when he uh, Facebook Live uh, his speech, uh, maybe this uh, wouldn't be happening, but he didn't. It, was, it became a free speech issue, if you recall. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Ron, you can see why he'd have his issues with Roethlisberger, right? I mean, all he's done the last six years is, you know, had six straight seasons of at least 101 catches and over 1,250 yards each. I mean, come on. Like you talk about big boy pants. Sounds like Big Ben is taking care of him. So, Ron, what exactly is wrong with this picture? What's going on? Well, I think it's the usual uh, wide receiver tunnel vision. You know, all I can see is more me. Uh, you know, Ryan Clark came out uh, yesterday and said that uh, he's his former teammate, of course, and that all Antonio cares about is 19 targets, 14 catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown. The score? Who cares? And, uh, you know, as long as you've got that kind of guy, I think in the end you're going to have a hard time uh, winning, not during the regular season or maybe even early class, but when you really need to count on a guy, is this guy you want to count on? He's always, you know, looking at his own uh, resume and, and doesn't really care about the team's resume. I, I think he's a loser. Well, you know, I think the, I think, I think the unsaid reason is Juju Smith-Schuster. Yes, so do I. All of a sudden, there's a new lead receiver on campus, right? And I think right. Antonio's having a tough time with that. No, Schuster I, no, I was, was voted that. the MVP of the team, not Brown. Yeah, right. 
Right, and and he's getting more catches and and making yep. big catches, and yeah, I think it's a jealousy thing. But I also agree with Ron. I, I don't think you can depend on him because, guys, if you remember, this is the same guy who stiffed us on a couple of interviews, at least two or three. Um, so if if he can't get along with us, who can he get along with? <laughs> good point. Yeah, good point. Okay, well now on to other things. We received an email two weeks ago or three weeks ago from a reader who said, "Why don't you give us the best players buried forever in?" The Great Abyss. In other words, the best candidates lost in the senior pool. And that's the guys who never made it to the hall in their 20 years of modern era eligibility. And, and, and that's on both sides of the ball, and that's offensive defense. So being the cooperative guys as we are, and listen to that, Antonio Brown, the cooperative guys as we are, we agreed, and we'll give you what you want, Tim Carruthers. It's the best of the abyss. And we're going to start with offense. Fortunately, we have two of the nine members of the senior subcommittee right here with us, and that would be Mr. Ron Borges, Mr. Rick Goslin, and they're here to shed a little light, and hopefully a lot of light, maybe a little shade, too, on guys who've been left out in the cold. So, Goose, let's get right to it. If you had to pull out one guy today on offense, offense, one, at any position, who would it be? Drew Pearson. In the eight decades from 1930 through 2010, there have been 16 first-team all-decade wide receivers. Fifteen have been enshrined in the Hall of Fame. The only one missing is Pearson. He's never even been a semifinalist, much less a finalist. 96.4% of all first-team all-decade selections have been awarded Boston Canton. So how does Drew Pearson slip through the cracks without even a discussion? Damn good question. Ronnie? Well, damn good question. Well, for me, it's uh, Alan Orsamichi. He's a short career guy. Uh, but when compared to Terrell Davis, he's Jim Marshall. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, he was voted to four Pro Bowls before torn Achilles ended his career after six seasons. He won two NFL championships. They the 1950s All-Decade team. He won an NFL rushing title in 1955. And 961 yards in a 12-game season. He scored a winning touchdown in the biggest game in history, the 58th NFL championship game, the overtime game, of course. Uh, and, you know, he wrestled 4,045 career yards and 40 touchdowns. And he held the record for most rushing yards in the first three seasons of a career for 48 years before it was finally broken in uh, 2005. If it's not for that surgery or his surgery today was what it, uh, back then was what it was today, he'd be in camp. So he's my choice. Well, Goose... As I mentioned, you're one of the nine members of the subcommittee, the senior subcommittee. What do you think the chances are of either of these guys getting nominated in, say, the next two or three years? Well, I think a lot hinges on if the Hall votes to have an amnesty class or, or that centennial class in the NFL's 100th anniversary season. If there are 10, 15, 20 players in that class, it will clean up a lot of mistakes. Okay. Uh, let's move on. You have one quarterback to choose. Goose, who is it? I've long said the best quarterback not in the Hall is Ken Anderson. The guy was picked as the best player in the NFL in 1981 when he was the MVP. He was the first quarterback to complete 70% of his passes in a single season, and that was back when the league average was about 56%. He also won four passing titles in two different decades, two in the 70s, two in the 80s. He took a team to a Super Bowl. His career checks all the boxes. If he had played in New York or L.A. instead of Cincinnati, I'm guessing he'd already be in. Well, for me, it's the only, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Goose, as I know you will do, uh, but I believe the only all-decade quarterback not in the Hall of Fame, uh, now the Ken Stabler again, is Cecil Isabel of the Green Bay Packers. And I never understood how Don Hudson could be considered perhaps the greatest wide receiver of all time at the guy throwing it to him. His greatest year has got no love from the Hall. He's been playing with the Packers from 38 to 42 before he left to make more money and more security as a coach at Purdue. But while he was at Green Bay, he was the most accurate passer of his time, even though he was throwing a watermelon around. 
his rookie year, he showed time with future Hall of Famer Ari Herbert, but he still had a practice both rushing and passing. In 1940, the position was his alone. He set a host of NFL passing records. In 42, his final season, he became the first to throw for 2,000 yards. He had 24 touchdowns. But here to me is the biggest thing. Donaldson came to the Packers in 1935, where he didn't become an All-Pro until Isbell arrived in 1938. His five greatest receiving seasons all came with guess who throwing to him. He saw Isbell, but what's the problem? Put his ass in camp. <laughs> hey, well, Ron, I'm going to put your ass on the spot here, ask you the same question, ask Goose. What are the chances that either he or Ken Anderson either makes it or is nominated in the next two, three, four years? Well, that's a good question. Again, I think, as Goose pointed out, the amnesty class for a guy like Isbell would be very important. I, I, you know, I'd be all for nominating him. Um, Ken Anderson has growing support for him. I think it's, uh, certainly his time is uh, is well past, and I could see him uh, getting, coming out of the pool. But I think for Isabel, unfair though it may be, he probably has to go as an uh, amnesty class guy. Okay, let's go to wide receiver. I know we have a slew of deserving candidates. Drew Pearson, as Goose mentioned. Cliff Brands, Charlie Hennigan, Max Beating, oh, there's zillions of them. Uh, if you have one, Ron, who is it? Well, uh, for receiver, I mean, I agree with Bruce Pearson. I mean, there's, there's no, you know, we can talk about this guy, that guy, and the next guy, and there's, and there's plenty of people, but, um, you know, he's the one who jumps off them. You know, he just jumps off that. Now, personally, for me, putting him aside, it's Cliff Brands. I mean, uh, uh, Look, I mean, the guy averaged 24 for two yards a catch one year. Uh, he led the NFL with uh, 12 touchdowns that season. By the end of his career, he'd averaged 17.3 yards a catch in the regular season and 17.7 in the playoffs. And at the time of his retirement, he was the all-time leader in playoff receptions and playoff reception yards. He had started on three winning Super Bowl teams. What do you got to do? Jeez. Put him in. <laughs> Goose, he loves him some Raiders. Well, I think we ought to uh, amnesty class. You just put a, anyone who played with the Raiders in the seventies. Let's put him in the amnesty class. <laughs> Why not? I agree. Well, yeah, my hey, after Pearson, the guy I like is Billy Wilson, another guy from the Bay Area. Won three receiving yeah, titles in the fifties and did it with a team that ran the football at the million dollar backfield. Four Hall of Famers in the backfield: Wyatt Tittle, Joe Perry, Hugh McElhenney, John Henry Johnson. Wilson has never even been a final. He played 10 seasons with the six Pro Bowls. That's as many Pro Bowls as Randy Moss or Terrell Owens. Billy Wilson is one of the Hall's great oversights. Man, I agree. Hey, listen, guys, we don't have a lot of time, but we have a lot of guys to talk about, so let's move on here. Running backs, again, many choices. Cookie Gilchrist, Paul Lowe, Amici, as Ron mentioned, Roger Craig, whom I like, Abner Haynes. Uh, Ron, where are you going here? You're going to Amici, correct? Um, well, I, I, I was not going to say him because I, I already sort of put him out there. So my other choice would be a guy I know you love, uh, Ricky Waters. Uh, sure, he's the for who for what guy. But forget yeah, all that. Right. Look at his production. <laughs> Rushed for a thousand yards seven times in ten years. Ranked in the top ten in yards from scrimmage eight times in ten years because he was an extremely reliable receiver as well as a runner. He went to five Pro Bowls. Was named All Pro three times. And and you know and he did it on three different teams. So it wasn't like no game was great with one team and then he kind of put a lot of place he went. He was about a twelve hundred yard rusher. Well, see, you know that's in my mind be good enough. Uh, uh, to get you in the Hall of Fame. And, and, and frankly, people talk about Roger Craig's versatility all the time. Uh, when Ricky Waters played one less season than Roger Craig, yet he rushed for more yards, uh, scored more rushing touchdowns, had more yards from scrimmage, and averaged more yards per reception. So if Craig is an injustice, Ricky Waters' absence is an abomination. Yeah, R- Roger Craig also played part of his career as a fullback. Hey, Goose, what do you have? Well, if it's, if it's indeed the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you got to look at Cookie Gilchrist, Narsha Walker. Add up yeah, right, all they right. did in all the leagues. 
Okay, guys, quick now. we got about a minute left. Offensive line. Hall loves nothing more than offensive tackles. We've had four left tackles inducted in the last seven years. That's the good news, the bad. We had a chance to elect another this February, but passed on Joe Jacoby. So he's now a senior. Who are you going to take here, Goose? Al Wister, first-team all-decade tackle from the 40s, played Ooh, nine seasons, eight-time All-Pro. Ron, who you got? Uh, uh, to me, two men from the AFL, Winston Hill and Jim Tyra. Uh, you know, Winston Hill is uh, one of the greatest offensive linemen in the AFL history. Jim Tyra was as well. Died in tragic circumstances, as we all know. But, but what we know now about CTE, that might explain the great tragedy of his life. Quick now, guys, just give me names. Tight ends. Who's the best tight end you got, Goose? And Ron Lex. Ron, Ron Kramer, 50th anniversary team. Ronnie? Hey, Coach. He was gone before Gronk. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the best of our seniors, at least on offense. Up next, we're going to hear from one of those guys, and that's former quarterback Ken Anderson. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, just a few minutes ago, Rick Goslin mentioned Ken Anderson of the Cincinnati Bengals as the most deserving senior quarterback. And maybe you're wondering, uh, what does Ken Anderson think about that? Well, it's a good question. So we caught up to him two years ago, and we asked. And today we're replaying that interview so you, too, will know. This, then, is former Cincinnati quarterback Ken Anderson in a June 2017 interview in its entirety. Well, when we talk about quarterbacks on this show who deserve to be in the Hall but aren't, you can start with our next guest. Ken Anderson had a marvelous, marvelous 16-year career with the Cincinnati Bengals. Included four Pro Bowls, three All-Pro selections, an NFL MVP award, an NFL Offensive Player of the Year award, an NFL Comeback Player of the Year award, the Bengals' first-ever Super Bowl. He led the league in passer rating four times and yards twice and set a single-season ratings record that stood for 27 years until Drew Brees broke it in 2009. Now he's here to talk about that career and maybe, just maybe, to talk about Canton. Ken, thanks for joining us. Well, the pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. Well, it's our pleasure to have you here. And, Ken, I mentioned all those accomplishments at the start when I introduced you. I, I didn't even mention that you still hold 31 Bengals passing records. Um, which is the most meaningful to you of all those accomplishments? Oh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think it would be, you know, taking the Bengals to their first Super Bowl in franchise history, you know, something that had never been done. And, 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 I, and I think, you know, the way that we got there and, you know, playing uh, the Chargers in the AFC Championship game when it was, you know, 59 below with the wind chill factor and, and how well our team performed under those circumstances. And, you know, when, when Paul Brown w- was alive, to, although he was the general manager at that point, to, to give him a chance with a new franchise to get to a Super Bowl. Ken, we've thought about it. I'm sure you have over the last 26 years. Why aren't you in the Hall of Fame? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I guess because we didn't win the Super Bowl. Um, I, I've heard a lot of people say that, that, uh, that, that we won the game against San Francisco. Uh, maybe my chances would have been a lot better. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I've heard maybe we play in a, playing in a small market and we weren't exposed to, you know, to the New Yorks, the Chicago's, the Washington D.C.s uh, on a regular basis. Uh, you know, I don't know, and to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. 
you know, you sort of touched upon one of the questions that we raise here a lot, Ken, uh, about the importance or lack of it uh, of winning a Super Bowl. Do you believe that that's an unfair measure for quarterbacks in particular, but but also for coaches and other players that also seem to suffer from that if their team well, doesn't I, win? I, I think it's more pronounced when you look at who's in the Hall of Fame, possibly, or who's who they think may go in when they talk about quarterbacks and championships. And, and I think they talk about that, you know, with the quarterback position more than any other position. Uh, and, of course, I think when you start talking about you know, coaches, I, I think it's, it's that way as well. But, you know, certainly, uh, you know, the, the guys that are in, I mean, you know, I always say, uh, you know, who's the, the greatest quarterback of all time? And, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, of course, Brady now with, with his number of Super Bowls and, uh, and Montana and, and Bradshaw. But, uh, you know, I go back to Otto Graham. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was he in, in the last game of the year, 10 times and won seven? Yeah, uh, nobody right. compares with that. Did you see Unitas play? Uh, I played against him. Uh, it was my first year uh, as a starter in 1972, and that was the one year that, uh, that he played with the San Diego Chargers. And, uh, and, and we beat them pretty handily out in San Diego. So you didn't see vintage John Unitas, but I mean, that was the end of his career. But I, no, no, no. Well, I, I, I did see vintage John Unitas as I, I was they, going up. And, yeah. You know, but it, it, was, it was fun for me because, you know, growing up, uh, you know, I was a big Chicago Bear fan growing up in Batavia, Illinois, outside Chicago, but right. was also a big Bart Starr fan, and I caught him at the end of his career. So, you know, and Bill Nelson with the, uh, the Cleveland Browns was there. And uh, so the, it, that was uh, a fun part of my early career. You know, guys like Ray Nitschke and Dick Butkus, uh, right. who were stellar players, uh, you know, to, to get a chance. To, at least they may not have been uh, what they were in their prime, but uh, they still had the name. We're talking with former Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Ken Anderson on the Talk of Fame Network. And you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And Ken... I mentioned that you took the Bengals to their first ever Super Bowl, which you did in 1981. But to get there, as you mentioned, you had to beat San Diego in what's now called the Freezer Bowl, where the wind chill, I think, was anywhere from what they call now between 51 and 57 degrees below zero. Anyway, it was mighty, mighty cold. Aside from just the pure coldness of it and the sort of Arctic freeze, what are your memories of that game? Well, you know, uh, of the talk before the game that they were talking about not playing it. You know, postponing it till the next day, and and, right. and I guess the the reports are that uh, that Monday was not going to be any better weather wise. Uh, then they they talked to a lot of people, a lot of experts, that it was safe for the players to play. Um, you know, when you watched on TV, there wasn't a cloud in the sky; it was sunny. Uh, it looked like a pretty nice day. Uh, I think you know, if if you talk to Dan Fouts and, and the other guys, it wasn't the cold that was the factor. It was just uh, the winds that were gusting up to 30 miles an hour. You know, in the press box, you couldn't even see out. It was frozen over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, I know my family was sitting in a private box, and they thought that was going to solve all the problems, except uh, because it was so cold, there was no heat in the boxes. And, and of course, they they weren't dressed for it. One one of our close friends who was an Augustana graduate happened uh, to be part owner of one of the boxes and invited them up. And so they they weren't dressed for the worst, so they really got cold. Kenny, do you wish you were you were invited on up? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I'm glad I was on the field playing. I mean, and, and like I say, it, it's I, I think when you look at that game, and we only had one turnover in the game. Uh, you know, we, we played pretty mistake-free football. Uh, people thought maybe it was unfair for the Chargers. Uh, 
They had played uh, in Miami the week before when uh, the, the temperature was high, the humidity was higher. Uh, I always tell people, you know, we beat San Diego handily in San Diego earlier in the year. Had they beat us at their place, uh, that game would have been in San Diego. So we deserved the right to play in Cincinnati. Kenny, in that game, you were 14-21, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And Dan Falk later said he was amazed you could throw in that wind. So how'd you do it? Well, I don't know. Uh, I, I think I've always had pretty large hands, so I, I could control the ball when conditions weren't that great. Uh, I think I always threw a, a pretty tight spiral, which you had to do, uh, you know, throwing in wind conditions there. I, I think we made some adjustments early in the game. Uh, as I recall, I, uh, one of the, our big weapons was throwing little swing passes to, to Pete Johnson, who was, uh, you know, maybe listed at 260, probably weighed 280. People didn't want to tackle him and then threw one out there and, and uh, it, it didn't come close. So uh, I think we discovered fairly early that it was tough throwing toward the sidelines. So we geared our passing game to throw more in between the numbers. Wow. Interesting. Uh, yeah, we had Kellen Winslow on the show a little bit ago and he was talking about that game. And one of the things that he said was how much it affected him even years uh, later, he claimed. How long was it before you didn't feel the effects of that game anymore? Uh, still do. Uh, wow. You know, I, I, I tend to get chilled very easily. It's kind of, you know, you'd be outside. Uh, I, I can remember, you know, back in the day playing golf, and it's 50 degrees, you know, it, it's short in a shirt weather. You, you know, now I get I go off the golf course, it's 50 degrees, I've got everything on that I own. Um, <laughs> so from that aspect, uh, it, 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 it affects me still. Um, you know, if I'm out and I don't have gloves on, uh, you see the tips of my fingers start to turn white when the temperature gets down uh, a little lower. So th- that's why I live in South Carolina now that I, I don't have to worry about snow <laughs> except when I want to go up and see my grandkids. <laughs> hey, Ken, uh, quick, quick question. Is this along those lines? But immediately afterwards, I mean, you had to play a Super Bowl immediately afterwards. Granted, it was indoors, but you must have felt those effects for that Super Bowl game against the, the 49ers as well, right? Well, I, I think the big effect was that uh, we stayed in Cincinnati that next week to practice, and the weather was just as bad, except now you go out and you try to practice, you don't have heaters on the sidelines, and you don't have heated benches. So it, I don't think we got as much work done as we would have liked to the week leading up to the Super Bowl. And, of course, then now you're, you're focused on you get up there, and now you're trying to get the bulk of your preparation done when the weather's nice because we were you know, both teams were practicing in the, uh, the Superdome. Hey, Ken, we're going to have to go. We're out of time, but thanks so much for joining us. And I know you said you don't think about it much, but best of luck with your Hall of Fame candidacy. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it very much, and thank you for having me on. You got it. Well, that was Ken Anderson, former quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals, almost two years ago, a year and a half ago on the Talk of Fame Network. And, Goose, you heard what he had to say. What realistically are his chances of at least getting in a discussion for the Hall of Fame uh, as a quarterback, especially with guys like, as Ron mentioned, Cecil Isbell from the 30s and early 40s, and, and Jim Plunkett um, from the 70s and 80s. Yeah, the problem we've got is that with the new the new wave of quarterbacks, these numbers are all ridiculous. You know, when Ken Anderson led the league in 1975 with 3,100 passing yards, that's a bad season by today's standard. You know, you want... 4,500, 5,000 yards. That's, that's Hall of Fame caliber. And the, the voting board is, there's so many young people on the voting board that, that never saw Ken Anderson play. They don't know the accomplishment of, of, him, of him completing 70% of his passes in, in 1982. They don't see the greatness of his era. 
they'll no, want I, to judge him by the quarterbacks of today, and he and he doesn't stack up. But I, guys like you and you. me and, and Ron, who saw him, you know, if, if if the Bengals had won that Super Bowl in 1981, Ken Ashton would be in the Hall of Fame right now. There's no doubt in my mind. He was he, the guy won four passing titles in two different decades. How, how many people have done? How many people have won four passing titles? Much as two different decades. But again, that was so long ago. Yeah, and I, I tell you honestly, the thing I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about championships and titles because the thing that resonates with people today and does resonate with me are championships. And Jim Plunkett had two Super Bowl titles. Ken Anderson had none, and I agree with you. Had he won one, he would be in the Hall of Fame, but that really damages his case in terms of the voters, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, Plunkett's got the two Super Bowls, but it was at his third stop that he got his Super Bowl. Yeah, right. Ken Anderson played at one place the whole time. It was a starting quarterback for all those years. I mean, he won four passing titles. He was the most efficient passer in the NFL four times. He was the MVP of the league once. And I firmly believe if you are the best player in any individual season, you ought to be discussed in where you fit with other players uh, at your position in the history of the game. He was the best player in 1981. And yet, He's lost. He's, he's in the abyss, and it may never come out of the abyss. Well, and that's precisely, to me, Goose, what these players in the abyss, the seniors pool, they're buried. That's the, precisely the problem they face is because they've been pushed aside and, and largely forgotten. And unfortunately, as you mentioned, if you're measuring them by today's standards, they fall short. But these guys were the best of their era. And I don't know how you, and I'm talking about the senior subcommittee, you and guys like Ron resurrect somebody like Ken Anderson. But um, what do you think the chances are? I know you've talked about that amnesty class, but I don't know if this is a guy that would, would qualify yeah. for that, a guy that people would, would say, let's pull him out. You know, it's tough to, to bring out any quarterback or wide receiver out of the senior pool because you're looking at, at their numbers through an unrealistic lens. You want to see a, a guy that caught 100 passes and for 1,400 yards. You don't want to see a guy like Drew Pearson who caught you know, 50 passes for, for 700 yards. You don't want to see Ken Anderson coming out with his 21 touchdowns and 3,100 uh, yards and 75 compared to what Patrick Mahomes did this year. It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to translate what these guys did in 1975 with what they're doing in, in 2015, 2018. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what's hard. That's the job you guys have to do. And best of luck to you and best of luck to Ken Anderson because I think he's going to need it. Up next, so it's the two-minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, this is the year of the whistleblower, right, Jay? So let's get Sean Hockley over here, which, I mean, because nobody blew the whistle more this season. Hey, thanks, Sean. That means it's the first two-minute drill of the New Year, so let's get to it. Best part of New Year's, Times Square, fireworks, or the Twilight Zone Marathon on the Sci-Fi Channel? The Winter Classic, Bruins, Blackhawks at Notre Dame. (laughs) Uh, That was a good one. Watching It's a Wonderful Life and going to bed by 10. (laughs) Worst part, Times Square, fireworks, or January 2nd? The endless drone of college football ball games. Thirty-five of them. Do we need thirty-five? <laughs> uh, the worst part: Jenny McCarthy and Donnie Wahlberg hosting Rock on New Year's Eve. It's like an idiots convention. <laughs> Wait a minute! It sounds like you stayed up to watch it, Ron. <laughs> hey, give us your first New Year's upset: Colts over Texans. Ooh, Eagles over Bears. Ooh. Wow. 
The Oscars need a host. Can you suggest someone from the NFL? Terrell Owens, except he may decide the Academy voters don't like him and not show up. <laughs> Gronk, he's looking for a new gig, and he fits right in. A nut in a hall full of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why not the three of us? Because I, for one, have nothing politically to say. <laughs> because three more nuts are two nuts too many. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes just picked up a ketchup endorsement. Who should sponsor mustard? If he ever gets back on the field, Odell Beckham, but there may not be enough mustard for that hot dog. <laughs> That's a good one. I say Josh Allen. He can put some mustard on the ball. Tom Brady lost $5 million in performance bonuses this year, so why no sympathy? A guy with five Super Bowl rings doesn't need any sympathy. Sympathy? You seen his wife's bank account? <laughs> the Raiders are in talks to play their home games in London. England, not New London, Connecticut. England, where would you play them? Colgate. That way you could keep the Raiders local in the end zone for the entire weekend. <laughs> Bangkok, wild place for a wild team. Who retires first, Brady, Adam Vinatieri, or us? <laughs> Brady, Vinatieri can kick forever, and we aren't going anywhere. <laughs> If you saw Adam's beard, you'd say Vinatieri, but if you saw Brady play this year, you'd say goodbye, Tom. That's the end of the match. That's the end of the first hour of our show, but join us and don't go anywhere, okay? Coming up is part two of The Abyss, Borges or Bogus, and a sit-down with Zach Thomas. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. not sure what you think when you hear that song, but when I hear it, I do know that I wonder, where did all those years go? I mean, I hear 2019, and then I realize it was 50 years ago that we put a man on the moon. Joe Namath ruined my Super Bowl Sunday, and we had Woodstock. No, not the bird, the concert. So, Ron, I want to ask you, um, what were you doing this time 50 years ago? And, and I know if you tell me you were at Woodstock, you weren't, because those that were, uh, they don't remember a thing. Well, the fact that I have no recollection makes pretty clear what I was doing. I do recall the local constabulary was involved, but not in a convivial manner. <laughs> hey, Ron, don't bogart that joint. Pass it this way, my friend, all right? <laughs> a lot of things went on there at Woodstock. You know, buddy, a, a lot of things. Hey, uh, Goose, how about you? Um, were you watching the ball drop at Times Square 50 years ago or doing something else? Nope, never been a big New Year's Eve guy. You know, one year always tends to bleed into the next one for me. But I do recall 69 being a very good year. Got out of high school, went to Michigan State, got my first paying gig in journalism, student paper. Life was good. Yeah, life was oh. good. Except for Super Bowl three. Well, uh, let old acquaintance not be forgotten, Goose Man, because on request, we're going to dig into the senior pool of Hall of Fame candidates today and hear from Cincinnati quarterback Ken Anderson as we empty our Talk of Fame archives. 
But that's not all. We're also going to dissect the head coaching carousel and talk to Hall of Fame semifinalist Zach Thomas, class of 2019, as the new year dawns on the Hall's next class of gold jackets. Now, vote, votes were due two weeks ago, and the Hall will make an announcement this Thursday with its 15 finalists. Goose, just wondering, you think we see Zach Thomas's name on that ballot? Well, the ballot at 25 semifinals was heavy on defense, and I expect the 15 finalists to be heavy on defense as well, so that bodes well for, for Thomas. I think they will be multi-linebackers, multi-defensive backs, and, and yes, I do think Thomas will be a finalist. You agree, Ron? Uh, well, I don't know. You know, every year we talk about defense, and in the end it ends up being offense, but uh, I do think uh, Richard Seymour being the only defensive lineman on the list uh, has probably a better chance than people are are thinking, you know, everybody really talks about it, about him, uh, as great a player as he was. But when you got no competition, people tend to check the box. <laughs> well, we're going to check the box because we've got a lot to get to as we ring out the old and ring in 2019. So, guys, let's get started, and we will right after this. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, before we get to Black Monday, and I guess Black Tuesday for some others, um, I want to get to one coach who wasn't fired this week, and that's Minnesota's Mike Zimmer. Um, one year after reaching the NFC Championship game, he and his team fizzled, of course, and they failed to win their season finale last week in a game incidentally that would have put them in the playoffs had they won and that game was home um so they finished eight seven and one missed the playoffs and of course they were booed by their fans um now this is a team that spent a record 84 million in guaranteed money on free agent quarterback kirk cousins and was expected to be better but it wasn't so ron i'll ask you i mean how much responsibility for this nosedive belongs to mike zimmer and how much belongs to michigan state's favorite quarterback Kirk Cousins. <laughs> well, if you're going to collect the accolades, uh, as Mike Zimmer did last year, where when things go well and you have to accept the blame when they don't, so he does deserve some. Uh, but to me, the real culprit really isn't Zimmer or Cousins. They both continue to be who they are. Zimmer's a good coach. I don't know if he's a great coach. He uh, hasn't proved that yet. And Cousins is a guy who seldom comes through in a clutch. He's 34-37-2 now as a starter. No one won in the playoffs. This is, was his seventh NFL season, the fourth as a full-time starter. He is what he is, which is a 500 uh, quarterback. He's never led a team to more than two games above 500 in his career. So to me, the real culprit is whoever decided in Minnesota uh, that he was a better option than a far cheaper case uh, Keenum, who went 13-3 and last year. Uh, I believe this is going to end up being an $84 million mystery. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you because the number you didn't mention there, Ron, was – what he's done against winning opponents in his career. Oh, awful. Four, he, awful. He's 4-25. 4-25 against yeah. him. So, Goose, um, you know a lot about Kirk Cousins. Um, you know a lot about quarterbacks. You know a lot about the Mich- uh, Minnesota Vikings. You know a lot about Michigan State. You know a lot about everything. That's why we call you Dr. Dadder. Uh, why did the Vikings think he was the answer at quarterback? And is it too soon to label this move, as Ron suggested, a mistake? Well, they, they saw Cousins as a 4,000-yard passer for a bad team in Washington. 
Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer looked at the talent they had on the flank and Adam Thielman and Stephon Diggs and wanted to take better advantage of them. They thought the arm of Cousins would do just that. They also knew they would uh, be surrounding Cousins with a better supporting cast than he had in Washington. The problem was Zimmer's philosophy is old school. Run the ball, play defense. They lost that identity and became a passing team with Cousins. You know, he would have been better off uh, as a member of the supporting cast as opposed to feature action. So does the fault lie with the uh, front office then for making this move? I mean, knowing that that was against the sort of makeup of this team. This reminds me of when Baltimore signed Gerback a year after yep. they won yep. the Super Bowl at Dilfer. Yep, Same 2001. Thing. They, they yep. thought, I got, well, we're going to get a more talented quarterback that will make everybody better. Didn't work. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Uh, well, speaking of quarterbacks, we had Nick Foles back as a playoff quarterback, and that's one month after it appeared the Eagles were dead and gone. But he's a prospective free agent after this year, unless, of course, the Eagles somehow figure out how to keep him. So, uh, Goose, how does, does he become, or how does he become this year's Kirk Cousins? In other words, the free agent quarterback's going to get paid out of the back of a Brinks truck, or can they find some way to keep him? No, he became in Philadelphia what the Vikings hoped Cousins would become a Minnesota facilitator. He will cash a big check this offseason, but he has to be smart. He needs to find a team on the verge of playoff contention, a team with the pieces around him that will allow him to be successful. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Russell Wilson. He needs help. If he goes to a bad team, he could become this year's Sam Bradford. Free agency always should be about the best fit, not so much the money, but too often it is. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think it, you know, how he's going to be looked upon and how he's going to get paid is going to depend on how deep uh, he goes with the, into the playoffs this year with the Eagles. Uh, if he doesn't, if he blows up this uh, weekend, I think there'll be a lot of people saying, well, he was just sort of a one-year, one-month uh, wonder. Um, but I can't see any way that he stays if there's any kind of real money out there uh, because even though Carson Wentz appears to be made out of tissue paper, uh, he's the future for, for at least until his body falls apart, as it seems to be doing. Um, now, somebody like Goose is going to have to make a, a smart uh, choice, and, and the kid himself is going to have to make a smart choice. He may not deserve to get paid, but just remember a few years back, neither did Matt Castle, and he became a millionaire twice. Yeah, right. Crazy. <laughs> well, anyway, good luck to St. Nick. I don't think he's going to need it in March, but he might this weekend, guys. Eagles play the Bears, and they play him in Chicago. Um, so let's get back to Black Monday. Uh, there are eight openings for head coaches. Ron? Which was the most surprising move to you? Uh, once I got over the shock of the Packers dumping Mike McCarthy, none really. Unless the other guys didn't win, uh, yeah, I right. guess maybe you could say you know you could say maybe Marvin Lewis to a degree a bit of a shock because of the way Mike Brown does business. Um, but you know if you don't win, you don't stay. Yeah, right. Well, mine is Steve Wilkes, one and done. How can you judge a coach based on one season? when he's forced to start a rookie quarterback, and not just any rookie quarterback, the fourth-best quarterback in the 2018 draft, Josh Rosen. He played like it uh, with 12 games of one touchdown pass or fewer. Now, if Wilkes was the mistake, you should also fire the guy who hired him, GM Steve Keim. Yet they're going to give Keim the chance to hire another coach. If he's that such a bad judge of coaching talent, why are you letting him do it again? <laughs> good question, Goose. They don't like damn that. good point. That was a damn yeah. good point. But you know, uh, I mean, he, uh, he inherited a team that was eight and eight, though, Goose, and he went back. Yeah, I understand right. a whole yeah. rookie quarterback thing, but uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure I want to afford to follow Steve Run. One uh, and done. into battle. One and done. Hey, how hey, can Goose, you judge quickly. any quarterback well, yeah, based on one season? Well, you're right. It's one and done, Goose. But you know. Who knows what that one was like? 
<laughs> you know, it was chaos, and he's got to go. And time should have gone a couple of years ago. Hey, Goose, quick yeah, question please. for you. Of, of the eight that are no longer head coaches, how many do you expect to be head coaches in 2019, and who are they? Two, McCarthy and Gaze. Everyone's looking for an offensive guru who can handle the quarterback position. That's going to cut out a lot of quality defensive candidates. Owners don't want defense. They want the football in the air. They want excitement. They want offense. McCarthy and Gaze have the track record to get them rehired quickly. Well, I hear that sound, and I know what it means. There's somebody out there with a track record, too, and our Rick Goslin spotlighted him this week on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, or themaven.io slash talkoffame. And that someone is former Viking star Joey Browner. Goose, you want to tell us about him? Yeah, much was expected of Joey Browner when the Minnesota Vikings selected him with the 19th overall choice of that celebrated 1983 NFL draft ahead of such Hall of Famers as Dan Marino and Daryl Green. Brown delivered on those expectations. He played nine seasons with the Vikings, went to six Pro Bowls. He strung together seven consecutive hunter-tackle seasons. He was voted one of the 50 greatest Vikings on the 50th anniversary of the franchise in 2010. Now, he's been eligible for the Hall for 21 years now, but has never been a semifinalist, much less a finalist. How does a all-decade safety, a six-time Pro Bowler, and a three-time first-team All-Pro never come up for discussion? Two reasons. He lacks a ring, and he played safety. Safety is the most undervalued position in the hall. Paul Krause, the NFL's all-time leading interceptor with 81, a record, by the way, that will never be broken, waited 14 years for his bust. Kenny Easley, a first-team all-decade safety and a former NFL Defense Player of the Year, waited 25 years before finally getting his bust, thanks to Ron Borges, as a senior. And only 30% of all those enshrined in Canton failed to win a championship. So if you don't win a title, you're a long shot for Canton. If you don't, if you don't win a title and play defense, you're an even longer shot. And if you don't win a title and play safety, you are the absolute longest shot for a bust in the Hall of Fame. And that's not fair to a player of the caliber of Browner. He intercepted 37 passes and recovered 16 fumbles, forced 18 fumbles, sacked 10 quarterbacks. He collected a career-best 20 tackles in a single game against the Bengals in 85 and showed his versatility with 111 career special teams tackles. He was a four-down player. So I added it all up. Do the tackles, interceptions, fumbles, touchdowns, and Pro Bowls add up to a Hall of Fame career for Joey Browner? Maybe, maybe not. But all the stats and accolades add up to a career that certainly deserves a discussion from the Hall of Fame Selection Committee. The absence of a championship rank should not close any doors for a great football player. The goose in about 30 seconds. Here's your, here's your charge. Cliff Harris, Steve Atwater, or Joey Browner? You can put in one. Who do you put? Oh, the only um, Cliff Harris was a first-team all-decade player. He's one of two all-decade guys not in from the 70s. I'd probably have him at the top of the list. Atwater second, and Browner would be in a cluster of other safeties uh, in, in that next level. We've got to go to break, like now, so let's go. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, um, what do you guys make of this Antonio Brown story? I mean, he missed last weekend's season finale with Cincinnati because he was supposed to be hurt. We all know that. I guess it was a knee injury, right? But then we find out, yeah, he wasn't hurt at all. Uh, apparently through a fit of practice. Uh, was late to meetings and essentially was told he wouldn't play on Sunday. Now, according to reports, 
He has issue with his head coach. That's Mike Tomlin and his quarterback. That would be Ben Roethlisberger and wants out, at least reportedly. But Mike Tomlin says, no, no, that's not exactly the case. He's not asked for a trade at all. And he faulted A.B. for abandoning the team in what he called its darkest hour. So, Goose, what are the chances that Antonio Brown is with the Pittsburgh Steelers next year? I think very good. You know, with a $22 million salary cap hit if he leaves the roster, I think he'll be back on board next year. The Steelers waited out Le'Veon Bell's dissatisfaction, and they can can and will wait out Antonio Brown's dissatisfaction. Yeah, I mean, that, that $21 million cap it, uh, makes it almost impossible to trade it before June, and even if you do it after June, it's a over $7 million hit this year and another $14 million the year after, so uh, uh, I would doubt it. But uh, uh, someone needs to tell Antonio Brown to put his big boy pants on yeah. and grow up. Uh, yeah. But th- but you know what? Someone needs to tell Mike Tomlin that he's supposed to be in charge to stop acting you know, like he's... Uh, in charge of the kindergarten class. These supposedly grown men and professionals treat them that way and stop treating them like, oh, it's not really this, oh, it's not really that, oh, it's not really something else. <laughs> you know, if he had jumped his ass when he uh, Facebook Live uh, his speech, uh, maybe this uh, wouldn't be happening, but he didn't. It, was, it became a free speech issue, if you recall. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Ron, you can see why he'd have his issues with Roethlisberger, right? I mean, all he's done the last six years is, you know, had six straight seasons of at least 101 catches and over 1,250 yards each. I mean, come on. Like you talk about big boy pants. Sounds like Big Ben is taking care of him. So, Ron, what exactly is wrong with this picture? What's going on? Well, I think it's the usual uh, wide receiver tunnel vision. You know, all I can see is more me. Uh, you know, Ryan Clark came out uh, yesterday and said that uh, he's his former teammate, of course, and that all Antonio cares about is 19 targets, 14 catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown. The score? Who cares? And, uh, you know, as long as you've got that kind of guy, I think in the end you're going to have a hard time uh, winning, not during the regular season or maybe even early class, but when you really need to count on a guy, is this guy you want to count on? He's always, you know, looking at his own uh, resume and, and doesn't really care about the team's resume. I, I think he's a loser. Well, you know, I think the, of that. I think the unsaid reason is Juju Smith-Schuster. Yes, so do I. All of a sudden, there's a new lead receiver on campus. Right. And I think right. Antonio's having a tough time with that. No, Schuster I, no, I was, was voted that. the MVP of the team, not Brown. Yeah, right. Right, and and he's getting more catches and and making yep. big catches, and yeah, I think it's a jealousy thing. But I also agree with Ron. I, I don't think you can depend on him because, guys, if you remember. This is the same guy who stiffed us on a couple of interviews, at least two or three. Um, so if, if he can't get along with us, who can he get along with? <laughs> good point. Yeah, good point. Okay, well, now on to other things. We received an email two weeks ago or three weeks ago from a reader who said, why don't you give us the best players buried forever in the great abyss? In other words, the best candidates lost in the senior pool. And that's the guys who never made it. To the hall in their 20 years of modern era eligibility, and and on that's on both sides of the ball, and that's offensive defense. So, being the cooperative guys as we are, and listen to that, Antonio Brown, the cooperative guys as we are, we agreed, and we'll give you what you want, Tim Carruthers. It's the best of the abyss, and we're going to start with offense. Fortunately, we have two of the nine members of the senior subcommittee right here with us, and that would be Mr. Ron Borges, Mr. Rick Goslin, and they're here to shed a little light, and hopefully a lot of light, maybe a little shade too, on guys who've been left out. In the cold. So, Goose, let's get right to it. If you had to pull out one guy today on offense, offense, one, at any position, who would it be? Drew Pearson. In the eight decades from 1930 through 2010, there have been 16 first-team all-decade wide receivers. 
15 have been enshrined in the Hall of Fame. The only one missing is Pearson. He's never even been a semifinalist, much less a finalist. 96.4% of all first-team all-decade selections have been awarded Boston Canton. So how does Drew Pearson slip through the cracks without even a discussion? Damn good question. Ronnie? Well, damn good question. Well, for me, it's uh, Alan the horse Michi. He's a short career guy. Uh, but when compared to Ralph Davis, he's Jim Marshall. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, he was voted to four Pro Bowls before torn Achilles into his career after six seasons. He won two NFL championships. They did the 1950s All-Decade team. He won an NFL rushing title in 1955. And- 961 yards in a 12-game season. He scored a winning touchdown in the biggest game in history, the 58th NFL championship game, the overtime game, of course. Uh, and, you know, he wrestled 4,045 career yards and 40 touchdowns, and he held the record for most rushing yards in the first three seasons of her career for 48 years before it was finally broken in uh, 2005. If it's not for that surgery or her surgery today was what it, uh, back then was what it was today, he'd be in camp. So he's my choice. Well, Goose... As I mentioned, you're one of the nine members of the subcommittee, the senior subcommittee. What do you think the chances are of either of these guys getting nominated in, say, the next two or three years? Well, I think a lot hinges on if the Hall votes to have an amnesty class or, or that centennial class in the NFL's 100th anniversary season. If there are 10, 15, 20 players in that class, it will clean up a lot of mistakes. Okay. Uh, let's move on. You have one quarterback to choose. Goose, who is it? I've long said the best quarterback not in the Hall is Ken Anderson. The guy was picked as the best player in the NFL in 1981 when he was the MVP. He was the first quarterback to complete 70% of his passes in a single season, and that was back when the league average was about 56%. He also won four passing titles in two different decades, two in the 70s, two in the 80s. He took a team to a Super Bowl. His career checks all the boxes. If he had played in New York or L.A. instead of Cincinnati, I'm guessing he'd already be in. Well, for me, it's the only, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Goose, as I know you will do, uh, but I believe the only all-decade quarterback not in the Hall of Fame, uh, now the Ken Stabler again, is Cecil Isabel of the Green Bay Packers. And I never understood how Don Hudson could be considered perhaps the greatest wide receiver of all time at the guy throwing it to him. His greatest year has got no love from the Hall. He's been playing with the Packers from 38 to 42 before he left to make more money and more security as a coach at Purdue. But while he was in Green Bay, he was the most accurate passer of his time, even though he was throwing a watermelon around. His rookie year, he showed time with future Hall of Famer Arnie Herbert, but he still had a practice in both rushing and passing. In 1940, the position was his alone. He set a host of NFL passing records. In 42, his final season, he became the first to throw for 2,000 yards. He had 24 touchdowns. But here to me is the biggest thing. Donaldson came to the Packers in 1935, where he didn't become an All-Pro until Isabel arrived in 1938. His five greatest receiving seasons all came with guess who throw it to him. He saw Isabel, but what's the problem? Put his ass in camp. <laughs> hey, well, Ron, I'm going to put your ass on the spot here, ask you the same question, ask Goose. What are the chances that either he or Ken Anderson either makes it or is nominated in the next two, three, four years? Well, that's a good question. Again, I think, as Goose pointed out, the amnesty class for a guy like Isabel would be very important. I, I, you know, I'd be all for nominating him. Um, Ken Anderson has growing support for him, I think. It's, uh, certainly his time is, uh, is well past, and I could see him uh, getting, coming out of the pool. But I think for Isabel, unfair though it may be, he probably has to go as an uh, amnesty class guy. Okay, let's go to wide receiver. I know we have a slew of deserving candidates. Drew Pearson, as Goose mentioned. Cliff Brands, Charlie Hennigan, Max Beating, oh, there's zillions of them. Uh, if you have one, Ron, who is it? Well, uh, for receiver, I mean, I agree with Bruce Pearson. I mean, there's, there's no, you know, we can talk about this guy, that guy, and the next guy, and there's, and there's plenty of people, but, um, you know, he's the one who jumps off the, you know, he just 
I'm supposed to. Now, personally, for me, putting him aside, it's Cliff Branch. I mean, uh, uh, look, I mean, the guy averaged 24 for two yards a catch one year. Uh, he led the NFL with uh, 12 touchdowns that season. By the end of his career, he averaged 17.3 yards a catch in the regular season and 17.7 in the playoffs. And at the time of his retirement, he was the all-time leader in playoff receptions and playoff reception yards. He had started on three winning Super Bowl teams. What do you got to do? Jeez. Put him in. <laughs> Goose, he loves him some Raiders. Well, I think we ought to uh, Amnesty class, you just put a, anyone who played with the Raiders in the 70s, let's put him in the Amnesty class. <laughs> Why not? I agree. Well, yeah, my, hey, after Pearson, the guy I like is Billy Wilson, another guy from the Bay Area. Won three receiving yeah, titles in the 50s and did it with a team that ran the football at the million-dollar backfield. Four Hall of Famers in the backfield. Wyatt Tittle, Joe Perry, Hugh McElhinney, John Henry Johnson. Wilson has never even been a final. He played 10 seasons with the six Pro Bowls. That's as many Pro Bowls as Randy Moss or Terrell Owens. Billy Wilson is one of the Hall's great oversights. Man, I agree. Hey, listen, guys, we don't have a lot of time, but we have a lot of guys to talk about, so let's move on here. Running backs, again, many choices. Cookie Gilchrist, Paul Lowe, Amici, as Ron mentioned, Roger Craig, whom I like, Abner Haynes. Uh, Ron, where are you going here? You're going to Amici, correct? Um, well, I, I, I was not going to say him because I, I already sort of put him out there. So my other choice would be a guy I know you love, uh, Ricky Waters. Uh, sure, he's the for who, for what guy. But forget yeah, all that. Right. Look at his production. <laughs> Rushed for 1,000 yards seven times in 10 years. Ranked in the top 10 in yards from scrimmage eight times in 10 years because he was an extremely reliable receiver as well as a runner. He went to five Pro Bowls, was named All-Pro three times. And, and you know, and he did it on three different teams. So it wasn't like that game was great with one team and then he kind of put a lot of place he went. He was about a 1,200-yard rusher. Well, see, you know, that's, in my mind, be good enough uh, uh, to get you in the Hall of Fame. And, and, and frankly, people talk about Roger Craig's versatility all the time. Uh, when Ricky Waters played one less season than Roger Craig, yet he rushed for more yards, uh, scored more rushing touchdowns, had more yards from scrimmage, and averaged more yards per reception. So if Craig is an injustice, Ricky Waters' absence is an abomination. Yeah, R- Roger Craig also played part of his career as a fullback. Hey, Goose, what do you have? Well, if it's, if it's indeed the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you got to look at Cookie Gilchrist, Narsha Walker. Add up yeah, right, all they right. did in all the leagues. Okay, guys, quick now. we got about a minute left. Offensive line. Hall loves nothing more than offensive tackles. We've had four left tackles inducted in the last seven years. That's the good news, the bad. We had a chance to elect another this February, but passed on Joe Jacoby. So he's now a senior. Who are you going to take here, Goose? Al Wister, first-team all-decade tackle from the 40s, played Ooh, nine seasons, eight-time All-Pro. Ron, who you got? Uh, to me, two men from the AFL, Winston Hill and Jim Tyra. Uh, you know, Winston Hill was uh, one of the greatest offensive linemen in the AFL history. Jim Tyra was as well. Died in tragic circumstances, as we all know. But, but what we know now about CTE, that might explain the great tragedy of his life. Quick now, guys. Just give me names. Tight ends. Who's the best tight end you got, Goose? And Ron Lex. Ron, Ron Kramer, 50th anniversary team. Ronnie? Head coach. He was gone before Gronk. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the best of our seniors, at least on offense. Up next, we're going to hear from one of those guys, and that's former quarterback Ken Anderson. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, just a few minutes ago, Rick Goslin mentioned Ken Anderson, the Cincinnati Bengals, as the most deserving senior quarterback 
And maybe you're wondering, uh, what does Ken Anderson think about that? Well, it's a good question. So we caught up to him two years ago, and we asked. And today we're replaying that interview so you, too, will know. This, then, is former Cincinnati quarterback Ken Anderson in a June 2017 interview in its entirety. Well, when we talk about quarterbacks on this show who deserve to be in the Hall but aren't, you can start with our next guest. Ken Anderson had a marvelous, marvelous 16-year career with the Cincinnati Bengals. Included four Pro Bowls, three All-Pro selections, an NFL MVP award, an NFL Offensive Player of the Year award, an NFL Comeback Player of the Year award, and the Bengals' first-ever Super Bowl. He led the league in passer rating four times and yards twice and set a single-season ratings record that stood for 27 years until Drew Brees broke it in 2009. Now he's here to talk about that career and maybe, just maybe, to talk about Canton. Ken, thanks for joining us. Well, the pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. Well, it's our pleasure to have you here. And, Ken, I mentioned all those accomplishments at the start when I introduced you. I I didn't even mention that you still hold 31 Bengals passing records. Um, Which is the most meaningful to you of all those accomplishments? Oh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think it would be, you know, taking the Bengals to their first Super Bowl in franchise history, you know, something that had never been done. And, 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 I, and I think, you know, the way that we got there and, you know, playing uh, the Chargers in the AFC Championship game when it was, you know, 59 below with the wind chill factor and, and how well our team performed under those circumstances. And, you know, when, when Paul Brown w- was alive, to, although he was the general manager at that point, to, to give him a chance with a new franchise to get to a Super Bowl. Ken, we've thought about it. I'm sure you have over the last 26 years. Why aren't you in the Hall of Fame? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I guess because we didn't win the Super Bowl. Um, I, I've heard a lot of people say that, that, uh, that had we won the game against San Francisco, uh, maybe my chances would have been a lot better. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I've heard maybe we play in a, playing in a small market and we weren't exposed to, you know, to the New Yorks, the Chicago's, the Washington D.C.s uh, on a regular basis. Uh, you know, I don't know, and to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. You know, you sort of touched upon one of the questions that we raise here a lot, Ken, uh, about the importance or lack of it uh, of winning a Super Bowl. Do you believe that that's an unfair measure for quarterbacks in particular, but? but also for coaches and other players that also seem to suffer from that if their team well, doesn't I, win. I, I think it's more pronounced when you look at who's in the Hall of Fame, possibly, or who's, who they think may go in when they talk about quarterbacks and championships. And, and I think they talk about that, you know, with the quarterback position more than any other position. Uh, and, of course, I think when you start talking about you know, coaches, I, I think it's, it's that way as well. But, you know, certainly, uh, you know, the, the guys that are in, I mean, you know, I always say, uh, you know, who's the, the greatest quarterback of all time? And, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, of course, Brady now with, with his number of Super Bowls and, uh, and Montana and, and Bradshaw. But, uh, you know, I go back to Otto Graham. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was he in, in the last game of the year, 10 times and won seven? Yeah, uh, nobody right. compares with that. Did you see Unitas play? Uh, I played against him. Uh, it was my first year uh, as a starter in 1972. And that was the one year that uh, that he played with the San Diego Chargers, and, uh, and and we beat them pretty handily out in San Diego. So you didn't see vintage John Unitas, but I mean that was the end of his career. But no, no, no. Well, I I did see vintage John Unitas as I was going up, and yeah, you know. But it was it was fun for me because you know growing up, you know, I was a big Chicago Bear fan growing up in Batavia, Illinois, outside Chicago. 
Bo right. was also a big Bart Starr fan, and I caught him at the end of his career. So, you know, and Bill Nelson with the uh, the Cleveland Browns was there. And uh, so the, it, that was uh, a fun part of my early career. You know, guys like Ray Nitschke and Dick Butkus, uh, right. who were stellar players, uh, you know, to, to get a chance to at least – they may not have been uh, what they were in their prime, but uh, they still had the name. We're talking with former Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Ken Anderson on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And, Ken, I mentioned that you took the Bengals to their first-ever Super Bowl, which you did in 1981. But to get there, as you mentioned, you had to beat San Diego in what's now called the Freezer Bowl, where the wind chill, I think, was anywhere from what they call now between 51 and 57 degrees below zero. Anyway, it was mighty, mighty cold. Aside from just the pure coldness of it and the sort of Arctic freeze, what are your memories of that game? Well, you know, uh, of the talk before the game that they were talking about not playing it, you know, postponing it till the next day. And, and, right. and I guess the, the reports are that uh, that Monday was not going to be any better weather-wise. Uh, then they, they talked to a lot of people, a lot of experts, that it was safe for the players to play. Um, you know, when you watched on TV, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was sunny. Uh, it looked like a pretty nice day. Uh, I think, you know, if, if you talk to Dan Fouts and, and the other guys, it wasn't the cold that was the factor. It was just uh, the winds that were gusting up to 30 miles an hour. You know, in the press box, you couldn't even see out. It was frozen over. <laughs> well, I, I, I know my family was sitting in a private box, and they thought that was going to solve all the problems, except uh, because it was so cold, there was no heat in the boxes. And, and of course, they, they weren't dressed for it. So one of our close friends who was a, an Augustana graduate happened to, to be part owner of one of the boxes and invited them up. And so they, were, uh, they weren't dressed for the war, so they really got cold. <laughs> Kenny, do you wish you were, you were invited on up? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I'm glad I was on the field playing. I mean, and, and like I say, it, it's, I, I think when you look at that game, and we only had one turnover in the game, uh, you know, we, we played pretty mistake-free football. Uh, people thought maybe it was unfair for the Chargers. Uh, they had played uh, in Miami the week before when uh, the, the temperature was high, the humidity was higher. Uh, I always tell people, you know, we beat San Diego handily in San Diego earlier in the year. Had they beat us at their place, uh, that game would have been in San Diego, so we deserved the right to play in Cincinnati. Kenny, in that game, you were 14-21, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and Dan Falk later said he was amazed you could throw in that wind. So how'd you do it? Well, I don't know. Uh, I I think I've always had pretty large hands, so I, I could control the ball when conditions weren't that great. Uh, I think I always threw a, a pretty tight spiral, which you had to do, uh, you know, throwing in wind conditions there. I, I think we made some adjustments early in the game. Uh, as I recall, I, uh, one of the, our big weapons was throwing little swing passes to, to Pete Johnson, who was, uh, you know, maybe listed at 260, probably weighed 280. People didn't want to <laughs> tackle him and then threw one out there and, and uh, it, it didn't come close. So uh, I think we discovered fairly early that it was tough throwing toward the sidelines, so we geared our passing game to throw more in between the numbers. Wow, interesting. Uh, We had Kellen Winslow on the show a little bit ago, and he was talking about that game, and one of the things that he said was how much it affected him even years uh, later, he claimed. How long was it before you didn't feel the effects of that game anymore? I still do. Uh, (laughs) You know, I, 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 I tend to get chilled very easily. It's kind of, you know, you'd be outside. Uh, I, I can remember 
you know, back in the day playing golf and it's 50 degrees, you know, it, it's short in a shirt weather. You know, now I get, I go off the golf course, it's 50 degrees. I've got everything on that I own. Um, <laughs> so from that aspect, uh, it, 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 it affects me still. Um, you know, if I'm out and I don't have gloves on, uh, you see the tips of my fingers start to turn white when the temperature gets down uh, a little lower. So that's why I live in South Carolina now that I, I don't have to worry about snow <laughs> except when I want to go up and see my grandkids. <laughs> hey, Ken, uh, quick, quick question. Is this along those lines? But immediately afterwards, I mean, you had to play a Super Bowl immediately afterwards. Granted, it was indoors, but you must have felt those effects for that Super Bowl game against the, the 49ers as well, right? Well, I, I think the big effect was that uh, we stayed in Cincinnati that next week to practice. And the weather was just as bad, except now you go out and you try to practice. You don't have heaters on the sidelines, and you don't have heated benches. So it, I don't think we got as much work done as we would have liked to the week leading up to the Super Bowl. And, of course, then now you're, you're focused on you get up there, and now you're trying to get the bulk of your preparation done when the weather's nice because we you know, both teams were practicing in the, uh, the Superdome. Hey, Ken. We're going to have to go. We're out of time, but thanks so much for joining us. And I know you said you don't think about it much, but best of luck with your Hall of Fame candidacy. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it very much, and thank you for having me on. You got it. Well, that was Ken Anderson, former quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals, almost two years ago, a year and a half ago on the Talk of Fame Network. And, Goose, you heard what he had to say. What realistically are his chances of at least getting in a discussion for the Hall of Fame uh, as a quarterback, especially with guys like, as Ron mentioned, Cecil Isbell from the 30s and early 40s, and, and Jim Plunkett um, from the 70s and 80s. Yeah, the problem we've got is that with the new the new wave of quarterbacks, these numbers are all ridiculous. You know, when Ken Anderson led the league in 1975 with 3,100 passing yards, that's a bad season by today's standard. You know, you want... 4,500, 5,000 yards. That's, that's Hall of Fame caliber. And the, the voting board is, there's so many young people on the voting board that, that never saw Ken Anderson play. They don't know the accomplishment of, of, him, of him completing 70% of his passes in, in 1982. They don't see the greatness of his era. They'll no, want to judge him by the quarterbacks of today, and he, and he doesn't stack up. But I, guys like you and you. me and, and Ron who saw him, you know, if, if, if the Bengals had won that Super Bowl in 1981, Ken Ashton would be in the Hall of Fame right now. There's no doubt in my mind. He was, he, the guy won four passing titles in two different decades. How, how, many people have done, how many people have won four passing titles as much as two different decades? But again, that was so long ago. Yeah, and I, I tell you, honestly, the thing I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about championships and titles, because the thing that resonates with people today and does resonate with me are championships. And Jim Plunkett had two Super Bowl titles. Ken Anderson had none, and I agree with you. Had he won one, he would be in the Hall of Fame, but that really damages his case in terms of the voters, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, Plunkett's got the two Super Bowls, but it was at his third stop that he got his Super Bowl. Yeah, right. Ken Anderson played at one place the whole time. It was a starting quarterback for all those years. I mean, he won four passing titles. He was the most efficient passer in the NFL four times. He was the MVP of the league once. And I firmly believe if you are the best player in any individual season, you ought to be discussed in where you fit with other players uh, at your position in the history of the game. And he was the best player in 1981. And yet, he's lost. He's in the abyss. And he may never come out of the abyss. Well, and that's precisely 
to me, Goose, what these players in the abyss, the seniors pool, they're buried. That's precisely the problem they face is because they've been pushed aside and, and largely forgotten. And unfortunately, as you mentioned, if you're measuring them by today's standards, they fall short. But these guys were the best of their era. And I don't know how you, and I'm talking about the senior subcommittee, you and guys like Ron resurrect somebody like Ken Anderson. But um, what do you think the chances are? I know you've talked about that amnesty class, but I don't know if this is a guy that would, would qualify yeah. for that, a guy that people would, would say, let's pull him out. You know, it's tough to bring out any quarterback or wide receiver out of the senior pool because you're looking at, at their numbers through an unrealistic lens. You want to see a, a guy that caught 100 passes and for 1,400 yards. You don't want to see a guy like Drew Pearson who caught you know, 50 passes for, for 700 yards. You don't want to see Ken Anderson coming out with his 21 touchdowns and 3,100 uh, yards and 75 compared to what Patrick Mahomes did this year. It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to translate what these guys did in 1975 with what they're doing in, in 2015, 2018. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what's hard. That's the job you guys have to do. And best of luck to you and best of luck to Ken Anderson because I think he's going to need it. Up next, so it's the two-minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, this is the year of the whistleblower, right, Jay? So let's get Sean Hockley over here, would you? I mean, because nobody blew the whistle more this season. <laughs> Hey, thanks, Sean. That means it's the first two-minute drill of the New Year, so let's get to it. Best part of New Year's, Times Square, fireworks, or the Twilight Zone Marathon on the Sci-Fi Channel? The Winter Classic, Bruins, Blackhawks at Notre Dame. (laughs) Uh, That was a good one. Watching It's a Wonderful Life and going to bed by 10. (laughs) Worst part, Times Square, fireworks, or January 2nd? The endless drone of college football ball games. Thirty-five of them. Do we need thirty-five? <laughs> uh, the worst part: Jenny McCarthy and Donnie Wahlberg hosting Rock on New Year's Eve. It's like an idiots' convention. <laughs> Wait a minute! It sounds like you stayed up to watch it, Ron. <laughs> hey, give us your first New Year's upset: Colts over Texans. Ooh, Eagles over Bears. Ooh. Wow. The Oscars need a host. Can you suggest someone from the NFL? Terrell Owens, except he may decide the Academy voters don't like him and not show up. <laughs> Gronk, he's looking for a new gig and he fits right in. A nut in a hall full of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why not the three of us? Because I, for one, have nothing politically to say. <laughs> because three more nuts are two nuts too many. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Mahomes just picked up a ketchup endorsement. Who should sponsor Mustard. If he ever gets back on the field, Odell Beckham, but there may not be enough mustard for that hot dog. <laughs> That's a good one. I say Josh Allen, he can put some mustard on the ball. Tom Brady lost $5 million in performance bonuses this year, so why no sympathy? A guy with five Super Bowl rings doesn't need any sympathy. Sympathy? You seen his wife's bank account? <laughs> the Raiders are in talks to play their home games in London. England, not New London, Connecticut. England, where would you play them? Colgate. That way you could keep the Raiders local in the end zone for the entire weekend. <laughs> Bangkok, wild place for a wild team. Who retires first, Brady, Adam Vinatieri, or us? <laughs> Brady, Vinatieri can kick forever, and we aren't going anywhere. <laughs> 
If you saw Adam's beard, you'd say Ben and Terry, but if you saw Brady play this year, you'd say goodbye, Tom. That's the end of the That's the end of the first hour of our show, but... Join us and don't go anywhere, okay? <laughs> Coming up is part two of The Abyss, Borges or Bogus, and a sit-down with Zach Thomas. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. <laughs>